please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning from Rick Bonfin Ministries. Happy Monday. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a good 4th of July. Um, we are about to go into this most unique, awesome uh, chapter of John 17, which is sometimes called the High Priestly Prayer. But let's let's go a couple of verses before we go into that and just sort of set the set the scene. John 16, the chapter before, verse 32, Jesus says, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. He's, of course, speaking to his disciples. He's been sharing with them over the past chapters his death that is soon to come, his resurrection, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter that's going to come to them. He has, um, if you heard Pastor Rick's uh, message Thursday night in Atlanta, he has opened the way for them to know the Father in his name and has said, I want you to relate to the Father. And he has made it clear that he is now going to be making intercession um, all by the cross. He is making the way, opening the way to know the Father, to relate to the Father. He'll be, he'll be through his blood, making intercession for us. So over the past chapters, all he's done for them and all he will do, he's been expounding upon this. But now Jesus, our Lord, is hours away from crucifixion. And he knows he will be alone. He says, behold, an hour has come. It's already come for you to be scattered. He knows they will all flee. They will all hide. They will all fail him, which is prophetic. As we've been saying, everything Jesus did, everything he said, rode on what had already been spoken by the prophets. And someone has Zechariah 13:7, And that is a prophetic word that pertains precisely to this moment in Jesus' life. <coughs> Awake, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man who is my fellow, says the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd... And the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. Okay. So when he says that the sheep will be scattered, um, he's talking about the disciples, but he's also talking about Israel as a nation who will reject their Messiah, who will say, crucify him. And, um, but he gives a promise that the little ones, the remnant of Israel, will be saved, will be brought back at the second coming. But this right here, um, Jesus knows what the scripture has said about him, that he is the good shepherd, he will be struck, <laughs> strucken, and the sheep will scatter, right? So he says, behold, this is the time. Then he gives one final word, even in his own knowledge, that this, these really tragic things that the prophets have prophesied about him, even though he knows he's at the brink of that, he's at that hour, he gives one final word of assurance to the disciples and to us, and that's verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. 
So he, he gives a final word. You're going to keep having trouble. <laughs> but in me, there is a place of peace. There's always going to be both. There's going to be trouble and there's going to be peace. That is something you can count on. You will have tribulation. But there's a place of peace available. And when he says, I have overcome the world, this is even before the cross. It was done. We follow a Lord who has overcome. He has overcome. If ever there was tribulation in the world, I know there's been other seasons of history, but we're experiencing it on a level few of us have experienced before. Right now, we are having tribulation in this world. But he says, I have overcome it. He's given us that assurance, um, which is just a very precious thing when things look dark. And um, by the way, in the world you have tribulation. That's a promise. You can put that in your little promise box. You know, we have these promise boxes of things God's promised us. He's promised us tribulation is part of life. But he's also told us God is in control. Satan is already defeated. So take courage, press on, move on. God's promises, God's plans cannot fail. So there's his final word of assurance to his disciples and to us. All this time he's been pouring out his heart to them. Now, as we go into John 17, Jesus turns his attention from his disciples, from the crowds, from the Pharisees, everyone he's been interacting with, and he turns his attention to the Father. And he closes this long dialogue by commending himself and the disciples and even us to the Father. He prays openly in the presence of the disciples. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that was written down in the Gospels. The longest. We know he, the, uh, the disciples observed him pray many times, but this is the longest recorded prayer. And how precious that it was written down, wouldn't you say? I mean, thank you, Lord. Thank you for writing down this which Jesus prayed. We, we get a glimpse into his relationship with his Father. We get... We, we know that when Jesus prays to the Father, it is a prayer that will be answered. This, this prayer cannot fail. <laughs> we know that whatever he's praying here, it will be fulfilled. And so thank you, Lord, for writing this down for us so we can see what Jesus asked for himself, for his disciples, and for you and me. Because we're included in here. So we start with verse 1 as he begins his prayer. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. The first thing he says is, the hour has come. Again, reinforcing, Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen. He knows from the scripture. He knows what he came to earth to do. The hour has come. Luke 9.22. Do you have that, Kathy? Will you read that? Saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, chief, pri- chief priests, and scribes, and be slain, and be raised on the third day. Okay, so way back there, Jesus had said, This is going to happen to me. I'll be rejected, and I will be crucified and raised on the third day. So he says, It's here. The hour has come. 
that was just in the gospel. But this goes all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. This hour of which he speaks, the hour has come, has been spoken of time and time and time and time again. Rick, would you read Genesis 3? The third chapter of Genesis is the first time it's spoken of this hour. I will put uh, enmity, is that it? Enmity, Between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, so Satan will bruise the heel of Jesus. Satan will have an ability through evil, through sin, because of sin, Jesus will suffer. But it says that Jesus, what, what that scripture is saying, that prophecy, is that Jesus will bruise the head of Satan. He will destroy him. So way back in Genesis 3, this hour of which Jesus uh, refers to has, is prophesied, right? What about Exodus 12? Here's another place where it is prophesied in the scripture what this hour is about. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. and shall, They shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Okay. So that whole ritual of the Passover all pointed to this hour, didn't it? When the lamb, the perfect unblemished lamb, would be taken and its blood put on the doorposts and the, the, the lamb would be killed, its, its blood put on the doorposts to save them from slavery and from death. So Jesus is a, a good Jewish boy. He has celebrated Passover all his life. He has done this ritual all his life and now he says the hour has come. For all that we've done all these years, rehearsing this to be fulfilled. Um, let's let's pick one out of the Psalms. I'm just telling you that this this hour he speaks of has been prophesied over and over and over. Psalm 22:14 through 18. Okay. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax; it's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves in my jaws. And you have brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed on me, pierced my hands and my feet. I may look at all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. I don't know how anyone can read that and not know that that is a prophetic yeah. <coughs> psalm <coughs> speaking directly about what happened to, to our Lord. And then I'm not going to read it, but we know Isaiah 53, probably the clearest prophecy there is in the Old Testament of exactly what this hour is about when by his stripes we are healed, right? (coughs) Jesus had studied the scriptures all of his life. We talk about this when we go to Israel, when we go to the synagogue at um, Chorazim and see the, the makeup of the synagogue and how life went on in the synagogue, the seat of Moses and everything, and realize that Jesus as a boy spent, he went to Hebrew school. He, he went to school in the synagogue and he learned and he memorized the scriptures. Uh, young Jewish boys in Jesus' time were expected to have memorized the first five books of the Bible by the time they were 12. 
to have memorized all the books of Moses. Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the prophets. And all of it, all of it points to this hour. Those who say we don't need the Old Testament, I just, that makes no sense to me. Because the Old Testament points, points, points to Jesus. Right? Amen? And then um, let's, let's move, just, just to keep reinforcing it, Rick, would you read 1 Peter 1, 18-20? For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Um, keep going. But, of the precious but with the precious blood of Christ... As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Clear through 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. Okay, before the foundation of the world. So we can go even back before Genesis 3 and say before the foundation of the world. When Jesus was coexistent with the Father and the Holy Spirit, triune God, in eternity past, this already was planned. God knew if he was to create man, to have a family, that man was going to fall. <clears throat> and Jesus, <clears throat> the Lamb of God, would have to go to this hour. So even before the foundation of the world was this prophesied. So Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son. What, what's he asking? Glorify thy son. Glorify is the Greek word doxa, D-O-X-A. And it simply means to make manifest or to reveal. Well, John 3.16 says what? We can say it together. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What Jesus is about to do as the crucifixion is just hours away is he is, a, he is about to manifest what God's love is. God so loved that he gave. He is, he is going to reveal, he is going to manifest what God's love looks like, what God would do in order to make salvation available to us. <clears throat> you know... God didn't create this earth and this universe and man all to be a great failed experiment. (laughs) He created this world and put us in it as his sons and daughters to bring glory to him. Our lives, we were created to bring glory to God. We were created to be his family We were created to make up a glorious eternal kingdom. But he knew before the foundation of the world we could not do that. He knew we would be a failed experiment. But Jesus would come and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He would redeem creation for his Father. And I've thought about that over the past years. It, it just I can't remember exactly how or when, but I, one day it just occurred to me very strongly. We think about how Jesus went to the cross for me. Jesus loved you, Matt, so much that he died on the cross for you. And that's true. He loved me. And yes, he loved you. 
But he did it even more for his father. He went to the cross to get back for his father what his father has lost. Because in love and with purpose and destiny, God created each one of us to be a son, a daughter, to be a loving part of his family. And we couldn't do it. And Jesus said, I will get them back for you, Father. I will buy them back. Um, Because the whole world is under the dominion of the evil one. And what does a redeemer do? He buys back. He pays a price to get back something that's been lost. And so Jesus said, glorify thy son, that the son may glorify you. He may give paradise and family kingdom back to the Father. The idea of glorifying is when he's manifested by God. Yeah. In other words, it's not just manifested. Okay, like you get to know somebody's ministry. Right. And this ministry is good, and you as a human being look at the ministry and says, oh, it's a beautiful ministry. 